um, running its first missions program. It began two weeks ago. And I'll be speaking next week to their students. And I was planning to go down today and set up and just, you know, get into the zone. But then when Mark called me and was like, do you want to speak on missions? Uh, this Sunday I'm going to be in India. My first response is, why aren't I going to India? Because <laughs> I love India. And my second response was, I cannot pass up talking about my favorite subject to my favorite church family. And, um, and I can make it work and catch a train tomorrow. So I'm pretty pumped to be here. And just this morning as we were having worship, I really felt the gentleness of God. Just feel like he's such a gentle father. He just is constantly wooing our hearts. And we see that all throughout the Bible where God comes and he approaches humans. He approaches people with a question. You know, he's like, Adam and Eve, where are you? Elijah, why are you in this cave? <laughs> Jesus, what do you want to the man who needs healing? And it's not because he doesn't have information. It's not because he actually has lost Adam and Eve. It's not because he doesn't know where Elijah is hiding in the cave. It's because he wants to approach people's hearts. And God is a God who wants to communicate and approach our hearts. So today I'm just going to speak on engaging with God's heart. It's the last Sunday on our month of missions. And I love September. September is my birth month. It's spring. Who's excited for the long nights coming up with daylight savings? You can go. I love daylight savings because you get two days in one. For me, I work in a warehouse. I work at a desk and there's no windows. It sounds very sad, but it's actually a cool place. But it's not until I go outside at 5 p.m. when I finish my job and I'm like, whoa, sunlight, air, it's amazing. And on daylight saving nights, I feel like I get two days in one because I can finish work at 5, have an early dinner, and then spend the next three hours at the beach swimming and, and having like what I call like my weekend in my week. So I thought September couldn't get any better, and now we do month of missions at Hunter, and it's just gone up there a whole new level for me. So I want to talk a little bit today about why I'm excited about missions. And I want to start with a scripture verse. And Meredith, if you don't mind being my clicker today, that would be amazing. So we're going to talk about engaging with God's heart. And I want to start with Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or you can just look at the notes behind me on the screen. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we're reminded of what Jesus last said to his disciples before he ascended in heaven. So he's just finished his time on earth. He's a resurrected Jesus. He spent 40 days teaching the church. He's starting the church. They're about to go on without him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he leads them with this. And he says, But you receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So let's look at that again. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you notice a little pattern there, Jerusalem, a city, Samaria, a region, and then the ends of the earth. And so today I want to talk about missions in the context of local. Jerusalem, local. Jerusalem was local for the disciples. It's where they were staying. It's where they'd been doing ministry. They came and they would await there until Jesus resurrected and then empowered them with a mandate to build the church. So the words of Jesus, as he finished his mission here on earth, he gave us a mission to tell people about him locally, everywhere we go, and to the ends of the earth. And when it comes to missions, we often think missions, yep, missions trips, going to Russia, going to India, going to Thailand. And that's a big part of it, and that's important, going to where people do not know Jesus, sharing, experiencing parts of ourselves we didn't even know we had to depend on God for. 
And that's so exciting about missions trips. And that's why I love it when people go on missions trips and I get to see them depend on God and step outside of their comfort zone. But sometimes a little lie sneaks into people's heads. And I see it all the time when I'm training my students in Newcastle and when I'm about to go to Sydney and, and meet these new students. We think, oh, missions is for out there. And missions only works out there. It doesn't work in Newcastle. It doesn't work in my workplace. I wouldn't even call that missions. But God's heart is missional. God's heart wants all to know him. God's heart really desires people to be made right with him so that they can live the abundant life that he promises. God's heart is for people, not against them. God's heart wants to reach out. He's an inclusive God. And sometimes we reduce the gospel, which is an incredible part of our message. We reduce the gospel to just being um, so small than what it, what it really is. The gospel begins and ends with God's heart for relationship. It begins with two people in a garden, and it ends with a city with billions of people in their differences, in their cultures, standing before a throne, loving on God. And this is the fulfillment of the great commandment, love God and love others as yourself. But often or not, we reduce the gospel to it beginning when Adam and Eve sinned and ending when Jesus died on the cross and resurrected. And we think that's it. And sometimes I think we miss out on the full story of redemption, that God actually, it's a part of the gospel, but God is at work doing things much greater than we could imagine. It's sort of like going to a buffet dinner. I don't know if you're like me, but... When I was little, I thought the silver dolphin was God's gift to Newcastle. <laughs> I knew Hunter Church would know what I'm talking about. My students look at me because they're all from America and they're like, what? But we have a good buffet in my, my town of Mayfield and it's, it's four and a half stars, just saying. But imagine if I got shouted a free entrance into this buffet with one of my friends, Sarah, let me buy you dinner, Saturday night, seafood night, and I go in there and I walk past the roast ducks area and all the roast meals with lamb and beef, I walk past all the Chinese food options, the Oriental options. I walk past the pavlova and the French macaroons. Yeah, my buffet has French macaroons. It's amazing. And imagine if I just go to the salad bar and I don't even look at the whole salad bar. I just grab some iceberg lettuce. Remember iceberg lettuce? They still use it at McDonald's. I think we're all spinach people now. And I grab like a iceberg lettuce and a couple of cherry tomatoes and some dried up shriveled Spanish onion. And I'm like, stoked, <laughs> this is awesome. And I go back to my seat and I just eat this salad. Sure, a salad's great, but if I'm gonna go to a buffet, salad's the entree. <laughs> you know, I'm there for the full experience. And that's how we can view the gospel sometimes. We don't realize that the gospel is the full story of redemption. It's not just the forgiveness of sins. It's doing life with Jesus. And so I wanted to just do this next word and we're gonna put this up on the slide. You know, when we think of sin, we sometimes can think of a whole list of things we shouldn't be doing. And when my non-Christian friends think about Christians, the first thing they say is, oh, you're not allowed to sin. <laughs> and I just laugh because they don't understand the gospel. The Hebrew word for sin, according to the Bible, is the word chata. It's the word chata in Hebrew, and in Greek, it's the word hamatia. But for the word chata, it simply means to miss the mark or a failure to reach a goal. It wasn't even originally a religious or spiritual word. Today, when the word sin is brought up, we often think of it being spiritual because of the gospel message and because that's the word we use because the Bible teaches us that all have sinned. Are you with me? Stay with me on this. I'm going to tell some really cool stories in a moment, but we're just setting up the foundations. So, chata 
all have sinned, all have hatar, all have missed their way. So in the Bible, if you were to um, go on a journey and you got lost, you were to hatar, you missed your way. Or if you were to shoot something with a bow and arrow and you didn't reach your target, it was called hatar. You did not reach your goal. So if the definition of sin according to the Bible is a failure to reach a goal, then what's the goal? What's the goal? If all have sinned, and sin did not change who God is, God still has a goal for us. God still has purposes for us. And yet we've missed that. We've chosen to go our own ways. What's the goal? And the goal is very simple. Jesus sums it up in one commandment. If we do the next slide, thanks, Meredith. The goal is found in the greatest commandment. The goal, the purpose of mankind, God created us for relationship. He created us for relationship. And you've probably heard that many times, especially if you've come to church before. But we fail to really understand how that functions in our everyday life. That Jesus, when he finished his time on earth, extended a mission for us to be witnesses local and global. And you and I, right here today, are testimonies of the fulfillment of people obeying that command. Maybe it was your mom, maybe it was your dad, maybe it was a grandparent or a neighbor or a random stranger walking up to you, but somebody told you about Jesus. Somebody witnessed to you, somebody told you about a God who cares about you, a God that has a father's heart, who has made a way for us to be in relationship. And we don't realize that the church is just one generation away from being extinct. One generation, but the faithfulness of God, the God who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who calls people by name, makes himself known generation upon generation upon generation. And when Jesus walks the earth, he calls individuals by name. And he sits down with them at wells, and he's distracted by them when they're carrying their sons in coffins. Jesus is distracted by the lost. He extends an invitation to the lost. We look at this command and we can think, okay, it's pretty simple. It's just one verse, but it's really harder to live than said, hey? It's not so simple to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength and mind, and you loving your neighbor as yourself sometimes is easier said than done. But what I love is that God gives us a command and empowers us to fulfill this command. So we are actually called, as children of God, as people, we are called to actually live in this commandment. And I want to just use an example here. We're going to talk today about how do I live and how do I become a missional person in the city of Newcastle, in Lake Macquarie, in the place that I live, in my workplace, in my family, that God's got a heart for the people that are in your life. God has shown his heart to you. And when we're in a relationship with someone, what matters to them matters to us. And the power in the gospel, for me, the real power of the gospel, is in the way it can transform a human heart. There isn't a thing in the world today, hate, violence, poverty, greed, world wars, that isn't because of an issue of the heart. It isn't because of an issue of the heart. I used to think India was very poor because I'd only seen from my missions training uh, the worst of India. But I realize more and more that India is a very wealthy nation. They have incredible resources. They have agriculture, they have soils that are rich in minerals. They have two cows per person in India. And yet we see such injustice and poverty because of a belief system. 
I used to think that Thailand was a nation that didn't have a lot of money because of the amount of work that we do in there. This is back when I was like 18 and 19. And then my sister, who worked at the Crown Casino, uh, Casino in Sydney, sorry, the Star Casino in Sydney, she used to work there and she worked on the top floor with the high rollers. And so that's like invitation only. You have to have a couple of million in your account to go into that room and play. And most of her clients were Thai. And most of her clients were Chinese. And were for countries that I would consider poor. We're placing million dollar bets. And there was a chip the size of an iPhone 5 or 6, if you have an iPhone si um, that size. There was a chip you could throw into my sister's game that was a million dollar chip. A million dollars in one chip. That's amazing. <laughs> and I'd think about this and I'd say, wow, here I am. I'm seeing a different side of Thailand and China and India than what you are. What's the difference? An issue of the heart. There's enough food for everyone. There's enough resources for everyone. There's enough wealth for everyone. But what's the injustice? The injustice isn't a lack of resources. It's a belief system. Who deserves help and who does not? And the gospel is good news because it aligns the heart with what love looks like. It aligns the heart with what love does. And the greatest commandment, when Jesus was asked by an expert in the law how to demonstrate the great commandment in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus then talks about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan who went to Sunday school? You know, like I've never really paid much attention to it because I've heard it my whole life. And I think, I don't know if VeggieTales did it, but it's like a very popular children's story, children's parable. Even this year when I took a team to Fiji, uh, my team of high school students did the Good Samaritan. And it's always really funny when they beat the person up and they lead them on the side of the road and then you have the priest come past. And the kids in Fiji, I think they just would laugh when the poor Jewish man in the play was getting beat up. And we're like, that's not the point. It's not supposed to be funny. It's not a comedy. It's very sad, actually. <laughs> but my students were so funny, and they were comedians, that we had to, like, kind of, we had to work on our drama a little bit. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but you forget the real meaning of what actually happens in that parable. Jesus shares about, this is what love looks like. This is what it looks like to live in the great commandment. It actually looks like being inconvenienced for something that's not your problem. It actually looks like you're on a journey somewhere and you are distracted by something that happens. And society would tell you it's actually not your problem. Can't do anything about it. I've got to be somewhere. And we know how the story goes. It's the first man who sees the Jewish man who's been beaten up, robbed, and is lying on the side of the road. First man is a priest and he sees him and he crosses the street. The second man is a temple assistant or a Levite. And he also looks at the man, for some reason, crosses the street and walks past. The Samaritan, the one culturally most, the one that who was not supposed to go over to the Jewish man, is the one who responds. Now, these are the days when we didn't have nappy sand, okay? So I don't know about you, but if you've ever had blood stains, it doesn't get out easily. But think about it. This good Samaritan He's on a road, which meant he was probably going somewhere. He had somewhere to be, people to meet. He would have been dressed in whatever he needed to make this journey. And yet he stops and he shows mercy to someone who culturally was not his neighbor. The Jewish man would have been neighbors to maybe the priest or the Levite. They're actually kingsmen. But the Samaritan man was the one least socially responsible to have to respond. And yet he does. He makes somebody else's problem his problem. And he extends mercy and we get to see God say, or Jesus teach this expert in the law, 
that the one, the neighbor is the one who is in need. That when the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself, your neighbor isn't defined by your physical like sense of, oh, this person's my next door neighbor or this person's my family. Your neighbor can be a random. It's anybody who needs mercy, anybody who needs your help. And we know the parable of the Good Samaritan ends with him taking this man on his horse or donkey and taking him to an inn and paying for his accommodation and then giving more money if he was to stay longer. Just think about that practically for a moment. Like the Good Samaritan would have had to lift this man up by himself onto his horse or donkey. He would have gotten blood all over him. This is a massive effort, a massive inconvenience. What moves you to love like that? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't have love like that. And that's why it's so important that we engage with God's heart. That when we engage with God's heart, he has the love we need. That we actually find ourselves responding and letting Christ in me love and reach out to the lost around me. When we engage with God's heart, it's going to change your perspective. And society will say, you know, what's the point of helping that person? You won't make much of a difference. But the gospel says there's power in the one. Change one, change the world. And so could you imagine if we as the church, you, me, began to really understand the power of the gospel? That the power of the gospel is we have failed to reach a goal to love God and love others. Jesus comes and makes a way for us to be made right with God and then empowers us through the Holy Spirit to fulfill that greatest commandment. And when we live and when we do our life, God has the love we need to give to others. Right? It's really simple. And it's powerful and it's exciting because God actually has love for people in your life. He has things he wants to do, things he wants to reach into their worlds, and he's tapping sometimes in our heart trying to get our attention. But we can think, oh, missions trips, that's for that. I'm now doing my everyday life. When we have a God who has a heart that's missional to anyone who doesn't know him. And when we say yes to God, we're in relationship with a God who's doing life with us. And the power of the gospel is in us understanding how good, how good the gospel is and the, and the good news it is for anybody. So I want to tell you a story. This might help a little bit. But to intro this story, I think I'll start with sharing a little bit about the power of local. Okay, so did you know the fastest growing church in the world today is in Iran? China is the third fastest growing church in the world today. Iran is the first. So think of all the stories you've heard about China, all the crazy stories. If you've read The Heavenly Man, if you've seen testimonies, if you've heard the figures about 13,000 a day coming to Jesus, Iran has overtaken China as the fastest growing church in the world today. And do you know who's reaching Iranians? Iranians. They are taking this Acts 1 verse 8 verse seriously and they are talking about Jesus in their local in fact, it's become a bit of a revival in a sense of the figures coming out are just crazy. Operation World has just shared that in 2015, when Iran became the fastest growing church in the world today, it's a movement that's seeing people turn from Islam and accept Jesus as their savior and follow Jesus. Now, politically, I don't know if you watch the news or if you're aware of what's happening, politically, that area of the world, Iran, is the enemy of Israel. And yet, the fastest growing church in the world today, led by Iranians, are praying for the Jewish people. Isn't that crazy? 
the latest stat I read just yesterday, because I was really interested in this, said that in the last two decades, so what's two decades, 20 years, in the last two decades, more Iranians have made a commitment to follow Jesus than in the last 13 centuries combined. The last 13 centuries of missionaries trying to come in, try to learn the culture, learn the language, gain trust, respect, it's a slow journey. And it's one that God's, you know, when you're obedient, you step out, you're just trusting the Lord with that one. But in the last two decades, Iranians reaching Iranians has exploded the Iranian church. The second fastest growing church in the world today is Afghanistan. Think about this, you guys. To us watching the news, Iran is such a threat right now that my friend who went to Iran on a missions trip, he's Australian, was denied entry into the US because of the stamp in his passport. He had to get a new passport. So the fear around Iran right now, and yet there's a movement happening where thousands are coming to Jesus. And you know who's leading the movement? Women are leading the movement. Now, I'm not talking about feminism here. I know when you say women's and movement in one sentence, all kinds of things come to our head. But you know what I love about this is that women are nothing in Iran. They have no value, no voice. They are oppressed. In that part of the world, including Saudi Arabia, a woman is a minor. She has the same rights as a minor, which means you have to ask permission to do anything from an adult, aka a man in your life. You can't drive. So you can be 50 years old as a woman and you can't drive because you are considered a minor legally. And yet, God is using the least of these. He's using the ones that society says have no influence and they're yielding their hearts to Jesus and a fire is breaking out in Iran. And you know who else is leading the movement? Former drug addicts, heroin users, who are coming to faith in Jesus. And you know, everywhere I go, when I, when I talk to Muslims in Paris or Muslims in their homes in Newcastle, do you know what they say to me? They say, I cannot find any peace in Islam. I can't find peace in Islam. And it's, there's a sense of hunger and a sense of discontent that's happening in Islam right now and people are turning to Jesus. So locally, we're seeing that happen in the Iranian church. But I want to tell you a story about here in Newcastle. So one of my staff is a twin, and his brother uh, works in Perth. They are identical twins. They even have the same mannerisms. So one of them works here, and one of them works in, in Perth. The one in Perth calls my friend, who's also one of my staff, and says to him, hey, do you know a guy by this name? My staff person says, no, I don't know this guy. Are you sure? No, I don't know this guy. Why? oh, this, this guy has just come to do this missions training program at our Perth Center, and he says that he was in Newcastle. He's from Tari. Do you know where Tari is? My staff is American. He doesn't know where Tari is. He's like, no, is it near Newcastle? So Jordan, um, staff person, he comes and tells me about this, and we ended up finding out who it was. This staff in Perth had a student come on his school. He gets up and gives his testimony, and he says, you know what? I was in Newcastle. And I was out the front of a pub having a smoke and I was just minding my own business and I met these Americans and I met these Australians and I met a Fijian. And I was like, that's got to be YWAM because those people don't usually hang out <laughs> just randomly unless they've got an agenda. So here it was, these, uh, these group of uh, my students had walked home one evening at the end of a Saturday night after finishing our youth program and they just said hello to a guy having a smoke out the front of a pub. And they got talking to him and the guy shared that he lived in Tari, was down for the weekend with the boys, having a bit of fun. And one of the Australian guys got a word for him. 
And it's just like, hey, this is crazy, but I feel like um, God wants to encourage you, gives this guy a word. They end up talking to the guy for about an hour out the front of the pub on the corner of my street in Mayfield. And they talk to the guy and then they give him a bit of information. They tell him about where they're from. The guy has a Bible in his home. So they were like, well, you should open it up and read it. Start in John. Just chat, just a conversation. And then my students left, went on outreach, didn't think about it. And then months later, about nine months later, we get a call from Perth. And the Jordan's twin has this guy on DTS. And he gets up and he says to everyone, yeah, I was just minding my own business with the boys on a Saturday night having a smoke. And these three guys came up to me and they started talking to me. They told me about God. I went home that night. I read my Bible. I gave my life to Jesus. I started going to the church that my friend's been inviting me to. Then I thought, I want to grow in my faith. I looked up courses, found out the center that they were talking about, applied for Perth, and the rest is history. Think about it. Locally, Locals reaching locals. Uh, another story that I think is really powerful, and this one's probably my favorite one at the moment because it's, it's, it's too good to be true, but it's so encouraging for us to hear these stories because there's conversations you have had, invitations you have made where nothing happened. And it's easy to think that, okay, God, you have called me to be a witness, and when I witness, it doesn't work. <laughs> but the gospel is always working. It's always working. It's always moving in people's hearts. And whether you move a person one step closer to curiosity about God, God's able to really water and grow seeds that you have planted. That's the good news of the gospel. No one's a hero. There's not one person who can do it all. It's actually the process of us being witnesses and us sharing about God. So as some of you know, we have a ministry where I work called Rahab. Some of you have actually volunteered and worked with us, and it's been incredible to see my friends from church come and just volunteer on a Thursday night when they can. But this ministry started 10, 12 years ago, and the ministry involves on Thursday nights a group of girls who have been trained with this uh, program to go into brothels, and they get permission from the manager or the owner, and they talk to girls who are working in brothels. In Newcastle, there's quite a lot of brothels. There's something like seven to nine on Hunter Street alone, okay? So just to get you understanding how big of a reach this can be, there's illegal brothels and there's legal brothels. The average age of the girls that when we go in there are about 18 years of age. So when our team went in about 12 years ago, it was led by a girl called Jess, who was on staff with us at our center, and another girl called Haley. And so Jess and Haley would go into these centers and for months they would just be going in each week and they'd be sharing just a bit of kindness, sharing about God, asking if anyone would like prayer. And amazingly, most people let them in and they build relationships and they go back to the same places and they start having friendships. Jess and Haley met a girl. She was 19 years of age. She was working. She'd been working for that year and they just connected with her. And every time they'd come in, she'd remember their names, they would talk and they would pray with her. And she was very open. She was addicted to ice, very addicted to ice. She was dating one of the local bike gang members and her life was an absolute mess. Sometimes she wouldn't be really coherent. They ended up getting her number and sometimes they would meet up with her after work and they would take her for coffee, they would walk along the beach, they'd meet up at a cafe. And they would just tell her about Jesus. They would encourage her and they would pray with her and they would just be her friend. And this would happen regularly. And then one day, she disappeared. Jess and Haley went to the place where she worked and she wasn't there. They talked to the boss. The boss said she just never came back. 
They tried to call her on the phone, she never picked up. Sent her a text, more texts, more texts, never replied. No email, no Facebook, missing. Now, with her situation and what she was going through, Jess and Haley feared the worst. For eight years, this girl disappeared. They didn't know if she'd overdosed, they didn't know if something had happened with the boyfriend, nothing, no one knew. And then, Jess and Haley left Wyram and they went and worked somewhere else. And Jess is working now overseas and came back for a holiday, just for a couple of weeks in Newcastle. She's on holiday with her family and the Rahab group just keeps going out. And one day, during the time that Jess was on holiday, so the chances of this is incredible. The group goes into a brothel and they meet a receptionist working behind a desk. And when the girls walk in and they say, we're from Rahab, we come in regularly, the girl's like, Rahab? I remember Rahab. And the girl's like, oh, have you, have you met us before? We don't recognize you. She's like, no, I've just moved back to Newcastle. I've just got a job as a receptionist. Do you know Jess and Haley? And the girls are like, oh, we don't know Haley, but there's a girl called Jess on holidays. And she said she used to, she started Rahab and used to work with Rahab. The girl's like, oh my gosh, can you please give her my number? I've been trying to track them down. I lost contact with them. Can you give them my number? Tell them it's such and such. And can you get them to call me? Well, you could imagine what Jess did. As soon as she gets this name and number, she remembers it's the girl who went missing eight years ago. Jess calls her, they connect, they meet up for coffee, and we begin to hear what happened. Basically, the girl had been meeting up with Jess and Haley, talking to them about God, and then one day, she finds out that she's pregnant. She finds out that she's pregnant and she doesn't know what to do. And something in her decides that she's gonna keep this baby and she's gonna change her life for this baby. She breaks up with the boyfriend, she throws out her number and her phone, breaks all contact, moves out past Maitland, and decides that she's gonna raise this kid completely alone. She gets off ice, and she says, God, if you're real, you can help me. She gets off ice, she raises this little girl, and she decides to move back to Newcastle eight years later, and she gets a job working as a receptionist. She says to Jess, like Jess is just crying at this stage, she says to Jess, you know what, I used to listen to you tell me that I could have a new life and I didn't believe you. But you convinced me because you believed it. And when I found out that I was pregnant, I felt like it was a gift from God, an opportunity for me to make something of my life. She's like, I cried out to God and God helped me. I haven't used ice in eight years. I haven't worked in my former career in eight years. I raised my little girl and I'm so glad that I've been reconnected with you because I want her to go to church. I want her to know the stuff you were telling me when I thought it was too late. I want her to grow up knowing she is loved, that she can be anything, and that she is valuable, and that she has a life ahead of her full of hope, full of abundant life. Wow, hey? Wow, Jess was just weeping. I got home from being out somewhere and Jess was in the dining room. She just grabbed me, she's like, says, you're not gonna believe this. Now, I remember that girl. I remember us praying for that girl. And when she disappeared, we were devastated because we were afraid of what had happened to her and we just knew that there was something more for her, that God had plans for her life. This is the gospel. The gospel makes all things new. But how will people know unless we tell them? No one had told this girl. She grew up in the city and no one had told her that Jesus was somebody she could have a relationship with, that Jesus would make any difference in her life. And you and I, we might not be going into brothels each week and talking to girls. We not, might not be walking past pubs and praying for people having a smoke. 
But I believe that wherever we go, the heart of God is beating inside of us. And if we pay attention and if we're willing, there's opportunities every day. It can be a kind word. It can be a prayer. And you know what? Sometimes it's a little bit awkward. But lots of things are awkward. I'm just like, do it awkward. (laughs) Because the good news of the gospel is so worth awkward. And often or not, I know that my friends, especially if we go back to that story, it was awkward for them to take a girl working in a brothel out for coffee. She's scratching herself. She's high on ice. She's addicted. Her situation is hopeless. Jess and Haley don't even have the resources to change her life around. And yet the faithfulness of God, when she makes that choice, which she knew she had a choice to make because someone had witnessed to her locally, God was there with her. So as people, as followers of Jesus, when we carry God's heart, we carry his perspective. And that's all I want to talk about today. It's just that we've been called to go locally and globally. And we get the global stuff. I think we get that. But we often disregard or dismiss or undervalue the local. And the local is so powerful. You and I are results of the local. And the faithfulness of God is that he actually wants more people in his family. He wants more people to come to get to know him. And I just want to leave it today. We're just inviting you that maybe you're the type that thinks, oh, Sarah, I'm not an evangelist, or I'm not really into missions, or I'm not really good at talking to people about God. Okay, but God's actually called us to love. And don't compare yourself to others on what it needs to look like. There's something that you can do in your day right now that God can make you alert to that would just let someone know that God is real, that God cares, that God is kind. And could you imagine what would happen, or what we're seeing happen in the church of Iran is locals are telling locals about Jesus, and it's good news, and they're turning from Islam, and they're saying yes to Jesus. And I can hardly wait to see what's going to happen, because we're right at the brink of this being mobilized. Iranians going into Saudi Arabia, Iranians going into many areas of the Middle East. And And in the world's eyes, it looks like it's all about to go down, hey? But God's awakening something and doing something much greater. And that's how the gospel works. It always looks hopeless. And then God, what we, we see what God is doing and it blows our minds. So if I can leave it there, I'll finish on that. So it's a call. Let's be people who want to know God's heart. Let's be people who care about the fact that God has a missional heart, that we can share and do life with him. And I can guarantee, guys, it can be a lot of fun. What a joy to hear someone who's raising her daughter well. We got her connected with a local church that she doesn't have to travel far to, and her daughter's now going to kids' club, and she's attending church. I just love this. Who doesn't enjoy that? And that could be something you can have as well. But trust the Lord, let him do his thing, and don't withhold good from others. Don't withhold the good message within you. We actually can do this because we do it all the time with things. I am the evangelist of good shoe sales online. You can't shut me up about it. I'm not overthinking how to tell someone that vans are 70% off right now. I'm not worried if I'm using the right words. I'm not worried if they like them or not. I'm like, who wouldn't like vans? They're awesome. Classic shoe. You can wear it with dresses, jeans. We're good. Yeah, thank you. People, all my vans people, where are you? Probably in the center of the room. And Joe. Yes, and Georgia. So, yes, and Mel. Come on. There's more of us in here than we realized. But honestly, when we're, we're excited about something, whether it's a movie or a good sale or an event, we talk about it. It's good news. We talk about it because we believe it's actually going to be something that benefits someone. 
And the gospel is really no different. Don't overcomplicate it. It's good news for people to find out that God can make lives new. It's good news to find out that, hey, I have love that God gives me for others in my life. It's good news to know that you can have good relationships. It's good news to know that God has purpose for your life. So let me just finish and pray for us. Lord, I just thank you for your gospel. I thank you for your heart. Lord, I pray for those right now who want to engage in your heart, who want to say yes to you, who want to be your witnesses locally, God. I just pray that you would remove any fear or any preconceived ideas of what that looks like that feels uncomfortable or different to who they are. God, I pray that you would show them the people in their life. God, I pray that they would be alert and aware of the people they walk past. God, where society says it's not your responsibility, God, I know that we have an answer and we can care. And so, Father, I just pray that for those of us that you have been prompting in this area, God, would you be given permission to move? Would you be permission to just pour more of your love into our hearts so that we're living in the overflow? That the love that we have for you, God, you want to multiply. You want to do things above and beyond what we could ever imagine. And we just thank you, Lord, for the cities of Newcastle and Lake Macquarie the Hunter Valley, God. We thank you for what you're doing in this area. And God, we thank you that we are a part of it. And God, I pray that you would have no limits, Lord, in what you want to do here. I pray that the full potential of your dreams will be made alive in us. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Thank you. Thanks, Jen. Thank you so much.